Hello, residents. My name is Mike Estefan. I'm joined today by Maddie Watts, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Ravitz Insurance, my personal independent disability insurance agent. We will talk more about Pearson Ravitz later into the episode. All right, Maddie, let's get into it. I believe today is round number five. Is this really already your fifth case? Yeah, I, I'm i kind of blown away too. Wait, is it four or five? Is it four? It might be four. It might be four. I think it's four. But it still feels like it shouldn't be that many cases. <laughs> yeah, time is flying. Um, okay, for everyone who has not listened to us before, Maddie will need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. She will have 15 minutes to complete the full case. She does not know what this case is ahead of time. If Maddie hits all of the critical actions that I have listed out beforehand, she wins. If she doesn't, or if she performs one of the many dangerous actions that have been put into the case intentionally, I win. These cases were created by me. They are not derived from actual ABEM cases that I've had. Not that I've taken the boards yet, but uh, and they are not real patients. Maddie, take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you, outline a human body on the left side, and let me know when you are ready. I'm ready. Okay, Dr. Watts, this will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the entire case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? Nope, I'm ready to go. All right, let me get this timer going. All right, and the timer has been started. So, you are working a nice, quiet shift at Clerkship General when the charge nurse runs to grab you. Hey, Doc, we got a guy in room 10 with shortness of breath. We need you there now. All right, I'm heading in. When I walk in the room, what do I see? You see a young male. He's diaphoretic. He's sitting upright in the stretcher. And he appears to be in respiratory distress. Okay, was he brought in by medic? Uh, he was. Okay. Um, so let's go ahead and get him moved over to the bed and put him on the monitor for some vital signs. And medic, I'll take report. Okay. Hey, Doc. Um, we got this this young guy. Uh, he's 24. Um, says he has no significant medical problems, maybe some asthma. He's had surgery in the past for his arm. Um, he just is short of breath, um, but we've been getting normal sats on him. But he's really. it looks like he's really working hard to breathe. Um, I didn't give him any nebs or anything because he, he had clear lungs on exam for me. But I'm just really curious as to what you think. Um, we brought him from home. Okay. All right. Um, and you said you guys didn't give him anything in route. Um, does he have IV access? Uh, we were able to place a single IV. Um, he has an amputation of his right upper extremity. So we have an 18 gauge in his left upper extremity. Okay. Okay. Um, and can we get our opening set of vitals? Yeah, sure. Um, your nurse is obtaining the set of vitals. Um, we have a heart rate of 134, a respiratory rate of 48, a blood pressure of 125 over 75, O2 saturation of 99% on room air, a, and a temperature of 98.3 Fahrenheit. Okay. All right. Um, so I'll talk to the patient now. Hi, sir. I'm Dr. Watts. Um, sorry that you're feeling this way. When did you start feeling short of breath like this? 
Help me. I can't catch my breath. It started yesterday, and now it's worse. I don't know what's wrong. This is not my asthma. Uh, and the patient just dry heaved and almost vomited everywhere. Okay. All right. Um, we can give him some Zofran. Um, do you have any allergies to medication, sir? No. Okay. Are you allergic to anything else? Uh, no allergies. Okay. And never had to use an EpiPen for any reason? No. Okay. All right. Well, we can give him some four milligrams of IV Zofran um, to help with that. And then um, he's still working pretty hard to breathe. So I think even though his oxygen's um, sats are good, let's put him on a non-rebreather and just see if that makes him any more comfortable. Okay. We can put him on a non-rebreather. So this all started yesterday. Um, did it start all of a sudden or it's gradually gotten worse? It's been getting worse. Okay. Any other symptoms that you've had in addition to feeling short of breath? Um, I've been up all night peeing, but I don't know why. Okay. Um, okay. And do you have any other medical problems besides asthma and your arm surgery? Um, I have eczema and I had Ewing sarcoma. That's why I had surgery. Okay. How long ago was this surgery? Four years ago. Four years ago. Okay. Um, and are you in remission for your cancer? Yes. Okay. So not actively undergoing any chemo or radiation? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, so you feel like you've been peeing more often. Um, have you also felt really thirsty recently? Yeah. I've been drinking a ton. Okay. All right. Um, and any history of diabetes in your family? I don't know. I was adopted. Okay. All right. Um, and you said no other history besides the asthma and the surgery. Um, do you take any medications? I have albuterol, but it didn't help. Okay, so the albuterol didn't really work. Um, And do you take any other medications regularly? No. Okay. Um, All right. So um, let's go ahead and get a point-of-care glucose, um, see what that is. Okay. Um, So the nurse put the patient on the non-rebreather. It might have calmed him down a little bit, but um, he's he's still breathing at a rate of 40. Um, And we'll get a finger stick, and it looks like 485. Okay. All right. Um, Sir, I'm worried you might have new onset diabetes that's causing all of your symptoms. I want to get a little bit more lab work um, back, and then we will need to start some treatment. But I think you may be um, breathing so heavily because of your body trying to kind of fight some of the um, the metabolic products that are in your blood and trying to get that out. Um, but you said no history that you're aware of. Um, okay. So let's go ahead and get a um, VBG, a CBC, a BMP, um, a UA if he's able to pee for us. Um, and, uh, let's see, um, 
We should probably get a chest x-ray as well, just to make sure he doesn't have a pneumonia or pneumothorax, because um, he could have that as well. Um, and let's get an EKG. Okay, so <clears throat> just to be clear, you said a CBC, a BMP, a VBG, a chest x-ray, and an EKG, and a urine. Yes. Okay. All right, those are being obtained. Um, and x-ray was walking right by this patient's room, so um, the stuff is being transmitted as we speak. Okay, so I'm looking at the x-ray. Um, it looks like his trachea is midline. His heart is a normal size. His lungs do look maybe a little bit hyperinflated, but I don't see any vocal consolidations, pleural effusions, pulmonary edema. His lung fields look pretty clear, and I see lung markings all the way out to the edge, so I don't think he has a spontaneous pneumothorax. So that looks like a normal chest x-ray to me. Um his EKG also just got done, so let me take a look at that. It looks like he has P waves and a narrow QRS. Um, he definitely has a fast rate, about 150, but given the nice P waves, this looks like a sinus tachycardia. Um, I'm not seeing anything else notable on here. Um, okay. So, um, so far, I still think that DKA is my um, top of my differential. I don't see any signs of, um, like I said, a pneumothorax, a pneumonia. Um, I don't think he has a PE because he hasn't had any recent surgeries. And um, I think, um, and I'll just ask him, does he have any history of blood clots that he knows of? No history of blood clots. Okay. Um, and not taking any steroids or anything like that? No, just the albuterol. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, I still think DK is my highest on my differential. I would like to see what his anion gap is um, and kind of get an idea of where his potassium is and everything before I start treatment. So... I'll wait for those labs to come back as long as he's still looking relatively stable. He's not tiring out. Okay. Well, the labs are back. Um, let's see. So for CBC, he has a white count of 7.4, hemoglobin of 16.5, platelets of 450,000. On his BMP, um, his sodium is 124. His chloride is 89. His potassium is 2.6. His bicarb is 5. His creatinine is 0 0.75. His BUN is 12. And his glucose is 565. Did you get all that? Yes, I got all that. Okay. And then on his VBG, um, his pH is 6.95. And his bicarb is... Or I'm sorry, his uh, PCO2 is nine, Ooh. and and then uh, his urinalysis, uh, really unremarkable except for plus three ketones. Okay, um, so all of this lab work does fit with a DKA, and I'll calculate his anion gap. So um, 
sodium of 124 minus chloride of 89 minus bicarb of 5. So he, maybe 94. So he's got an anion gap of 30. Um, and he is very acidotic. So I'm pretty worried about him. So, um, and his potassium is um, low. So let's go ahead and give him some um, potassium IV as well as some fluids and insulin. Um, I may need my pharmacist help on starting all of this, but um, I want to give him um, insulin and fluids until his gap closes, and I will continue to have the potassium in there until it's at least um, like 3.5 or higher. Okay, um, so fortunately, uh, we are not at a completely rural site. We do have an ED pharmacist who is available to help. Um, so what would you like to ask the pharmacist? So I think this guy has DKA, and I want to start an insulin drip. He's got an anion gap of 30, um, but he also has a potassium of 2.6. So um, I believe we need to replete the potassium uh, before we start the insulin, um, or we can use the potassium and the insulin together, but I think we have to replete first and then we can start them together. So I'd love your input on that. Um, well, you're the doc. You you can make the decision on what you want to start, but I can, if you uh, tell me what you want to start, I can tell you the doses for everything and the rates. Okay. Let's go ahead and give him um, 40 milliequivalents of potassium IV because I want to get his potassium up first before we start. Um, and then once we give that, we can give, um, an insulin drip. I'll let you let, um, titrate the dose on that as well as, some um, lactated ringers and we'll have some potassium. Well, that in normal saline or in LR, whatever you think is best as we give the insulin drip. Okay. Um, so here's the problem with the potassium. Do you want to give it PO or IV? Uh, you said IV, correct? Yeah, I know it, it burns when you give it IV, but he's breathing so hard. I'm not sure if he'll be able to take anything orally. We can ask him, though. Yeah, well, so the, the problem is uh, through a peripheral line, we can only give 10 milliequivalents of potassium per hour. We can't go any faster than that IV through a peripheral line. Okay, let's see if he would be willing to take some orally, because I do want to get his potassium up um, pretty quickly here. Uh, the patient vomits again. Okay. Um, so I'm guessing that's a no. <laughs> um, so let's just give him 10 milliequivalents an hour then of potassium and go ahead and start the insulin drip and fluids. Okay. So uh, if you want, um, you know, through a peripheral line, we can give it 10 milliequivalents an hour, but... If you want to put a central line in, we can kind of double that rate. Is that something you'd want to do? Um, yeah, we could do that. I mean, this guy's pretty sick. I think we're definitely going to need to be able to give meds through various different um, sites. We need more than just one line. So, yeah, I can put a central line in. Okay, describe the procedure. Um, so I would probably start by looking at his IJ um, and looking with the ultrasound um I guess he, I'm not sure how the amputation plays into this, but he, um, I guess I'd start looking on the left first, um, since he has this right upper extremity amputation, but, um, look with my ultrasound, identify the 
internal jugular vein, also identify the carotid artery. Um, and then I would prep the area with chloroprep, drape, um, go ahead and put on a sterile gown and gloves. I would get my kit ready. I'd have, um, I'd go ahead and flush my line. I'd have my finder needle and syringe and use my ultrasound um, to try to identify my needle tip in the um, vein and then make sure I can aspirate back, try to keep my hand very steady, which <laughs> is really hard to do, and unscrew that syringe tip, um, go ahead and feed my wire, make sure it's feeding easily, check again with my ultrasound, make sure my wire is still in my vein. Um, once I have confirmation, I'll do a little skin neck, dilate um, with the dilator, and then feed my line over my wire and pull my wire out, make sure that my um, all of my ports of my um, central line are pulling back and flushing, and then sew it on, and we should be good to go. Um, okay, can we, are you okay get us giving the potassium through the central line now? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay, and you want the insulin drip started? Yeah, let's go ahead and um, start the insulin drip after we give the potassium. Okay, and that ends your case. Ooh. Woo! That was a lot. <laughs> oh, was... man. Him coming in and you were like, he has asthma. I was like, okay, we got asthma. This is easy. And then you are like, albuterol's not helping. It's not as asthma. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so before we kind of go through this case, talk about how you did, um, let's talk about Pearson Ravitz briefly. Um, so Pearson Ravitz is a disability insurance broker. They are my personal disability insurance broker. And guys, I cannot stress how important it is to get disability insurance while you are a resident. Now, I'll be honest. I am a chronic procrastinator, okay? I put off getting disability insurance until my last year of residency. And once I started applying through Pearson Rabbits for disability insurance and realized how much of a discount you get as a resident and the fact that I almost missed this discount, I just don't make the same mistake I did. Fortunately, I got the discount. I got you know, underwritten, all my underwriting done. That was all done in time, but um, it's quite a substantial discount. So don't wait until it's too late. Pearson Rabbit, Stephanie Pearson has done this, has gone through this on her own. Um, and now she does it for other doctors. So they are reliable. They are Zach and I's personal disability insurance agent. Please check them out, www.pearsonravitz.com and schedule a consultation appointment with Stephanie or one of our staff members today. Now, back to the case. Maddie, woo! All right, so what do you think you did well there? Um, I think I did a pretty good job of considering a relatively broad differential. Um, I think I could have considered other things as well, but I will say this patient, was I could tell immediately was very sick, and it was kind of one of those, like, all right, we're tensing up things, even though it's a fake patient. I was like, something's going to happen. Like, <laughs> you're going to make him crash. I'm just waiting. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so I I agree. You considered a broad differential. You did the workup that you needed to do. Um, 
and ultimately, you know, you got the diagnosis right. Um, and we'll talk about the management in a little bit. Are there things that you weren't so certain about or things that you think you could have done better? Um, I definitely, I remember there's like a chart in my head where if I know if potassium's low, you want to replete it. And if it's like average, you want to give potassium while giving insulin. And then if it's high, you just give the insulin. But I couldn't quite remember how much you had to replete it. And if you had to replete it before you started the insulin. So that was kind of all swimming in my head a little bit. But um, yeah, other than that, I felt like I had a a pretty good idea of what to do um, with a DKA patient. But I guess we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree. I I completely agree. Um, And... With that in mind, um, let me ask you a question. So if somebody comes in with DKA and they have a low potassium and you give them insulin without repleting their potassium, what happens? Why, like, why is that a bad thing? What does insulin do? Well, it would make your potassium, it lowers your potassium. Yes, correct. Exactly. I don't remember why I, because no, yeah, but that's that's one hundred percent correct. Yeah, it, sh- it shifts things in and out of the cell, but yes, it lowers your potassium, so you get hypokalemic. Yes, yes, exactly. Right, we use insulin with dextrose to treat hyperkalemia. Yes. Yeah, it definitely causes a, a, a hypokalemia from shifting of uh, potassium, and um, what what kind of problems do we run into with super low levels of potassium like critical hypokalemia um i know you can get ekg changes um and i oh gosh i'm better with my hyperkalemia ekg changes but um i can't remember if it causes bradycardia but definitely not good (laughs) yeah not good um yeah so Hypokalemia causes it puts you at risk of significant cardiac dysrhythmias, and we we all worry about VFib. Um, so people who are hy- hypo K can VFib arrest, you know, so easily. Um, and for that reason, that's the reason why there's this huge thing about starting insulin before you know knowing the potassium, because you know I, I the way I'd written this case and the way in real life is if you had started that insulin before giving potassium I would have made this patient go into cardiac arrest and um, insulin is definitely contraindicated uh, with a potassium of 2.6 um, you need to replete that um, so let me let me start from the beginning so 100% this this kid had a DKA and um, I was trying to kind of make that obvious. I mean, one, one thing that you should always consider when somebody comes in in respiratory distress, but clear lungs, I always worry about PEs and I always worry about DKA or severe acidosis. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be from DKA, just severe acidosis. Um, because they, they develop a pretty significant compensatory respiratory alkalosis, right? They're breathing off all their CO2. Mm-hmm. You saw on, the, on his gas, his PCO2 was nine. Yeah. Um, that's actually kind of like at the physiological limit. You really can't blow your CO2 down any lower than that. 
So the whole purpose of this case, and you probably haven't seen one of these patients yet, but they are so scary. They are so sick. Um, he is kind of teetering on the edge of the of his physiologic reserve, right? He is compensating maximally from a respiratory point of view. Yeah. And the problem is, the problem is you can't you can't treat him, right? The the treatment is insulin, but his potassium is low, um, so you can't give him the thing he needs to prevent him from going to respiratory failure. Um, so this this is a classic emergency medicine case, for, number one for the boards and number two for real life. Um, I've had many of these, and there's a couple things you can do here. So number let's, let's go through the critical actions, and then we'll talk a little bit more. But my critical actions, number one, were to diagnose DKA, which you did. Um, number two was replete potassium, which you did. The third was start an insulin drip after the potassium was repleted, which uh, I kind of sort of did. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. After we gave some potassium, we started the insulin drip. In real life, um, you're really not starting that insulin drip until you've given enough potassium to like bring it up to normal. Okay. Um, and then. Uh, Fourth critical action um, we'll talk about, but it was going to be put a central line in to get potassium in faster. Or the other option I would have given you here is to augment his respiratory status. So if we can only give potassium 10 milli equivalents per hour through a peripheral line, 20 through a central line. Um, the other option to buy us time here is to put him on BiPAP because he's going to tire out. I was kind of thinking about that, yeah, but I, I didn't pull the trigger on it. Yeah, so very low threshold to put these patients on BiPAP solely for work of breathing because you're worried about them tiring out. So when you're using BiPAP for this purpose, um, the goal, you don't need PEEP really here. Um, so the goal is a high inspiratory pressure with like a low expiratory pressure. So you can do like 15 over 5 for these people. Um, and really, you're just trying to reduce work of breathing and buy yourself some time to replete that potassium. So either doing the central line or putting them on BiPAP would have been okay for this critical action, which you did, and you described the procedure well. Um, there were two things you missed on the procedure. Uh, number one, I would have numbed them up with lidocaine, but it's okay. A lot was going on. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, and then um, pre-frushing the line, because if you, you inject into the line and there's air in it, um, you're just going to shoot air into their... Oh, did I not say I flushed my line? Sorry, I usually do, but... I, I, I believe you, but these are... I'm nitpicking. Uh, I mean, as you know, uh, doing the cases with Zach, broad strokes with me, I'm very detail-oriented. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the fifth critical action, which unfortunately you ran out of time for, was admit to the ICU, but I know you would have done this if you had time. Yeah, okay. Um, so a couple dangerous actions here that you did not do, fortunately, um, but... I built into the case, if you gave insulin before repleting the potassium, um, I would have caused him to go into V-fib arrest. And then if you would have intubated him, um, I would have caused him to go into a PEA arrest. Uh, and if you think about the reason why, it kind of makes sense, right? He is maximally compensated from respi respiratory point of view, right? His pH is 6.9 and his CO2 is all the way down to 9. He can't get it any lower. As soon as you paralyze this guy, right, he's going to stop breathing. He's going to go apneic. His PCO2 is going to shoot up. His pH is going to drop and he's going to go into PEA arrest from acidosis. Okay, um, that makes sense. So, 
Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes you're stuck, you know, in the real life. If they're tiring out and they're going into respiratory failure and BiPAP's not helping them, there's nothing else you can do but intubate them, right? But um, you, it's, it's a last resort here for these DKA patients. This is what I would call a physiologically difficult intubation because um, there's just so Makes much sense. to consider here. Um, but I, I think you did a great job, number one, working him up thoroughly. Number two, you, you, know, you calculated his anion gap. You, you diagnosed him well. Um, you knew to volume resuscitate him. You gave him LR. You knew the treatment. You knew the repletion. You did not fail this case. Um, you just ran out of time a little bit. But um, overall, I think you did okay. There was one thing, though, one major thing that you forgot. Dare I say you pulled a mic here. Oh, Looking um, back on it. I was about to say, I asked about allergies, but uh, I don't know. What was it? You didn't do a physical exam. Oh, my gosh. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I did. And, I did and, pull a mic. I, maybe, yeah. maybe worse because you caught yourself. I did not. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I think I've definitely had cases where I didn't do an exam. And I was like, oh, clear lungs. Challenge. We're good. <laughs> Yeah, the, that's the didn't challenge look for of these anything cases. else. No, yeah, right. Edema, JVD, not confirming EMS's lung exam. No abdominal exam. Oh goodness, that's it's <laughs> special. It's all good. It's all good. I, I, we have all done this, and that's the challenge with these cases, right? This guy came in sick as heck. His vital signs were all over the place, and you know, especially as an intern, like. I don't know how it is at your program, but I didn't see a ton of really sick patients as an intern. Like sometimes my seniors would grab me and kind of show me what they're doing, but um, the, these resuscitations I wasn't too involved with. So to get a case with those abnormal vital signs and then have a twist like clear lungs is um, kind of mean, but um, I think you did really well given your, your level of training. And uh, I think the deep dive will be, will be a good deep dive on DKA. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Um, anything else about the case? Any other questions or comments from your end? I don't think so. Okay. Um, so let's talk about uh, residency. What what rotation are you on now? Have you had any uh, any interesting rotations or patient experiences or anything that you'd like to share with our audience who are you know budding residents potentially or current residents? Yeah, I'm on anesthesia ultrasound right now, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, I love ultrasound, so I have just been running around. I actually, one of my first shifts on ultrasound, I walked four and a half miles during my eight-hour shift without leaving the department. So, Oh, my God. <laughs> that's how many ultrasounds I was doing. But um, it's really fun, and like I've gotten to do a lot of ultrasound-guided IVs, which... I'm getting better at. I'm very proud of myself because I feel like they're they look so easy, but in practice are actually quite hard. And so I've gotten the chance to do a bunch of them and start to get better at them. So it's been a really fun month. Yeah, uh, that's a great skill to have. Um, at, I don't know how it is where you're working. Where I trained, our we only had like two or three nurses that could do ultrasound lines, so the residents were responsible for all of them. But now where I work, the nurses can do them, and I don't have to do them, and it's great. But 
when you know when a nurse can't get a line it's really good to have had that training so definitely try to do as many of those as possible as much as it sucks like i probably did a thousand in residency if not more but there's such a time suck on shifts but yeah definitely get your numbers because uh getting quick at those and being able to get you know access difficult access quickly and when other people can't number one you'll look like a rock star and number two it's you know good for patient care because if you can't then you're doing an io or a central line you know yeah no one of my third years had said just to do as many as you can because that's kind of what she did and once she had done so many she was like that i'm pretty confident that i can get a line on just about anybody and it's when you have a sick patient like this patient and your nurse is like, well, we, we've tried three times and we can't get a line. You're like, oh, shit. Like, sorry, I can't say that. Um. <laughs> no, you can. You can say it. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, yeah, 100%. And honestly, that is why this, uh, the Ewing sarcoma got built into this case, because you can give 10 milliequivalents an hour through each peripheral IV. Um, so you, Okay, but we couldn't get another one for him. You couldn't get another one. Yeah, you can do one in each limb at 10 an hour um so with with only one you know the central line is the way to go and uh we'll, we'll talk more about it on the deep dive but um i i think you did great for your level of training and you know if you had 30 more seconds i think you would have completely passed the case because I, I know you're admitting this patient to the icu oh yeah i i'm getting them out of my emergency department as soon as they'll take them <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. Um, Well, that's all I have for today. Do you have anything else, Maddie? I don't think so. Good case. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, Send us emails. My email is mike at emclerkship.com. And mine is maddie at emclerkship.com. Until the deep dive and next month, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.